0: that music means your next hour is going to be about connection welcome to this show is all about you a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common when you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, JDK Winnekin.
1: And welcome in everyone to another episode of This Show Is All About You. Whether you are a longtime listener or a first-time listener, I'm really happy to have you with me for the next hour as we Get underneath the conversations about what's going on in the world that we normally have at oftentimes a surface level and see what's underneath it that can connect us all together, not only now, but perhaps over space and time and history and all those things. So for that reason, we talk about a lot of different things on this show, and today is no exception. Really happy to have you here today. If you would like to know more about me, you can do that in several ways. First, you can check out my website, wordsbyjdk.com. There's a lot of content there, including episodes of this show, as well as original content, stories, essays, poetry, lots of different things uh, from the writing side of my life. Check that out. You can also find me on social media at Instagram, Facebook, I guess X, which everybody is still saying, formerly known as Twitter. So I guess I'll follow along. You can look me up, W-I-N-E-K-E-N is my last name and connect with me. That way, would love to chat with you. A thank you at the front end of the show here to the show's longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are hundreds. But one of the things that makes Airway Science unique, among many things, is that it encourages and helps students develop a better sense of connection with themselves and therefore then with their families, their peers, their communities, and the nation at large. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, please check out their website, airsci.org, and you will hear more about them during the show breaks as we go along. Okay, welcome back in. Today's show is going to be about transitions. It's kind of a time of year where we feel a lot of different transitions going on, uh, but and that's also, you know, change is constant. And that's also true in the news. And so, as we do every week, let's kick off this week's show by taking a look at the last week's news in a segment I call What in the World is Going On?
0: This is not the first time this Ukrainian brigade has raised the flag on newly liberated territory. And they hope it won't be the last, but it is significant. They believe they've broken through the most difficult of the Russian fortifications in the south, and will be able to move forward more quickly. Our goal is the Sea of Azov, assault commander Skala said. I don't want my guys to think that they can relax now.
1: For months now, as this counteroffensive has been going, that the Ukrainians launched. There have been, it seems like a daily wait for good news. The grind, the loss of life on both sides has been appalling beyond a point that I think has probably even been reported at this point just because of the scope. But it does seem that Ukraine is making some inroads and in breaking through those longstanding Russian defenses, particularly in the south, headed towards the Crimean Peninsula. Not only is that report and other ones like it good evidence of that, but also news this morning that Russia is trying a counteroffensive up further north from those breakthroughs near the city of Kharkov that they approached um, in the initial stages of the invasion. And that's a clear sign as well. A counteroffensive up there or a counterthrust, Kharkov is designed entirely to get the Ukrainian military to pull back to, and move forces north to defend the city and therefore slow down that advance. Hard to tell to what degree Russia is going to be successful in this counterattack in the north. But if indeed Ukraine has started to break through in the South through those defenses, that opens up the Crimean Peninsula and the coast of the Black Sea for Ukraine to retake, not just territory that Russia took starting in 2022, but perhaps even back in 2014 when they illegally annexed the Crimean Peninsula. This always, this seemingly has had a feel for the last few weeks of just waiting for that one domino to drop, that one domino to drop that's going to give us one sense or another of how this is going to go. That may or may not happen, and it's a, a pretty common thing to hope for. But the dangerous part of that is is that as both sides start saying, we just need one moment, one moment, one moment, that can end up leading to a whole lot of justification for more and more and more lives being thrown into the breach and being lost as a result. Unfortunately, that seems to be the nature of this war, and which is why wars like this are good things not to start. Because you end up with options that are really bad and then really worse. So we'll see how this goes. Hopefully for everyone involved, the Ukrainians make a breakthrough sooner rather than later. I think that's something most of us are hoping for in the end. Closer to home. Man, some wild stuff going on both legally and politically surrounding former President Donald Trump. So the first thing we need to understand is this may not be the absolute date set in stone March 4th, but it will be somewhere close to that. Trump's legal team will have the opportunity to offer motions and may slow things down, but it's going to be March or April of next year. And that is much, much closer to the prosecution's wishes than the Trump defense team suggested. April 2026 was something that the judge said was simply unreasonable. She also said January 2024 was unreasonable. But the most important part of this is this trial will occur in the calendar year 2024 and months before the nominating convention for Republicans in Milwaukee. Of course, among the four indictments that current uh, former President Donald Trump is currently facing, I should say, and there. who knows if more will be coming, rumors of Arizona popping up this morning. Uh, with all of that, trial dates now being set. And of course, the big interest in that is, are they going to happen? in the middle of the primary nomination season for the Republican Party for the presidency, for the general election at the end of next year, or would it happen after? And it looks like in almost every single case, if not all of them now, it is going to be happening in the calendar year 2024. And of course, what that's done is that it's just ratcheted up the rhetoric even more, particularly the full-throated rhetoric from those supporting the former president, saying all of this is politically motivated. And, of course, things like March 4th, if that is indeed the date that the, uh, the January 6th uh, trial is held about their insurrection, that is right before Super Tuesday, literally right before Super Tuesday. And so, hence, where that is on the calendar is going to feed that perception that this is politically motivated. And I've said this on the show before, but I think it's worth saying again. First of all, former President Trump clearly, no matter what side you're on here, tried to use elements of the law after he was defeated in the November 2020 election to reach a political gain. If anybody made all of this political to start with, it was the former president of the United States. That's the first thing. Second thing, all those efforts, those failed efforts, those 70 plus different cases that he brought, never made it past judges' rulings. And none of them ever got close to a grand jury investigation or anything like that that would be looking into criminal criminality about the elections because the proof simply wasn't there. In the case of these four indictments, it's not as if judges, whether they be quote unquote political or not, are just willy nilly or prosecutors for that matter, just coming up with these prosecutions out of the blue. Every single one of these had to go to a grand jury made up of everyday average citizens in these locations, in South Florida, in D.C., in Atlanta, in New York City where all of them from all this from different backgrounds had to agree that there was enough evidence in these four cases to warrant indictments. And not only did they these grand juries of everyday citizens warrant indictments, they warranted indictments around multiple counts and multiple people. That is not something that you can simply conjure out of midair, whether you have a political motivation as a prosecutor or a judge or not in the end that's this is what the legal system is for on the basis of evidence that is what drives cases forward and in this case four groups of grand jury four grand juries found more than enough compelling evidence to hand down and recommend indictments in all of this and the the fact that it took this long to get here says a lot more about the wide scope of evidence that prosecutors had to examine and pull together than it does any sort of political timeline there's a lot of evidence out there that is going to be brought to bear. So that's worth keeping in mind in all of this. And then finally, uh, on a little bit of a happier note, something rare has happened in where I live here up in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm not sure how long long it's going to last. So I really kind of got to crow about it real quick. And you're going to get a sense of what I'm talking about just from this next sound bite. (laughs) baseball yes for longtime listeners of this show whether you love baseball or now rolling your eyes you already know that I am a huge baseball fan and something that hasn't happened in 20 years in the Pacific Northwest happened over the weekend our local baseball team which happens to be the baseball team I've loved since I was a kid the Seattle Mariners for the first time in 20 years has is now currently in first place in their division in Major League Baseball and we're coming up on the last month of the season. The Mariners have been playing better than any other team in baseball since the beginning of July. And that combined with the fact that the division leaders in front of them, particularly the Texas Rangers, have fallen on their face in the last month, has made it possible for the Mariners to be in first place. And you can tell from my voice and I'm pretty giddy about it, but the entire city is like this. There's there's a, a line in a song by one of my favorite bands, <laughs> Widespread Panic, that... Uh, <laughs> The, the lyric goes, I know a town where real life is a game and baseball is all that's real. Right now, Seattle is like that. <laughs> There's Seattle pays attention to a lot of things going on in the world and is in, oftentimes in the forefront of a lot of those discussions. But right now, everybody is baseball crazy because this kind of came out of nowhere. And it's coming at the perfect time of the season. The baseball season is almost six months long, and we're in the fifth month of it. And we're leading down to the end, and this team is hot, 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 and winning games left and right. And it's really kind of been an exciting time. If you are certainly a fan of the Seattle Mariners and you've been invested in them, like I have been for the majority of my life, even though for the majority of my life, they have stunk. And so it's an exciting time. And not only do I need to crow about it because there's no guarantee that they'll stay in first place. I mean, they could, you know, cool off here pretty easily just like anybody else could. But it also leads into what I want to talk about, today transitions and this is going to be talking about this for the next probably next handful of shows because uh this is a time of year transitions in this case Mariners are transitioning towards the end of the season moving towards the playoffs and it's worth reminding everybody they are the only major league baseball team the only one of all 30 that has never even been to a world series never even been there they're the only one yeah there's lots of us fans who want to see that end. <laughs> you know, so anytime this happens, we, you know, we invest. But nevertheless, they're transitioning into a really important time, not just for themselves, but also for the city and potentially for where they stand in baseball history. And that's exciting, just to have the opportunity to do that. But this is also a time of transition in lots of ways, right? Next month, fall arrives. And a lot of people get excited about that. It's also a time where everybody's going back to school. Rather, it's, it's kids, kindergarten, preschool, all the way up through kids heading off to college. This is the time of year where that happens. And there's lots of signs of that that we tend to mark. I already mentioned baseball season is ending. Football season is starting. That's another sign of those transitions. Weather is beginning to change. We're dealing with smoke still here in the Pacific Northwest from fires, and those will probably continue. But now we're hearing more about hurricanes In various places, there was one that hit Southern California a week ago, one that helped cause those terrible fires in Maui a few weeks back, and now one bearing down on Florida that's going to hit sometime in the next week or so. So that's that's the case. I already mentioned the political situation. We are moving from a non-election season into the election cycle, starting with the primaries for the presidency and then leading into the general election cycle next year already. It's hard to imagine that we're already at that point. So all of those things, those types of transitions are upon us. And some of those I know we tend to welcome and other ones we tend to perhaps dread a little bit or wonder, wow, how do we get here so quickly or what will this be like this time? So it depends on what we're talking about, of course. But I thought it might be interesting today to spend some time on that idea and, and maybe to sit back and reflect here in this time that you're taking to listen to this show and in the time that I'm taking to put it forward for you to reflect perhaps on what transitions mean historically for for each of us. How do we view transitions? How do you view them? Another way of saying that is how do you view change? How do you respond to change? What do you expect from it? What is your experience with it? And I think we all probably have different answers to that because of course we all have different lives and different experiences in those lives, and yet, one of the things that does unite all of us together is, you know, the fact that change is a constant thing. And oftentimes, at least for me, and in conversations with many other people, and just in my, how I pay attention to things in the world, notice that people understand, generally speaking, or at least on a a conceptual level, that change happens all the time, and yet there's always this constant tension between Acknowledging that change and then holding on to the things that we matter most. To what degree are do we need to hold on to things that are bedrock, that we don't change, that we hold on to as best we can? And then what's the relationship between those and allowing change to happen? Or not trying to fight it, perhaps, because we can't really stop it. <laughs> you know, we could try to hinder it, particularly if it's anything external, we don't have any control over it. So I guess what I'm getting at is what anchors us in the midst of all this change? Because ide- ideally, we're not supposed to be bouncing around with all these. We're not supposed to pick your metaphor. We're not supposed to be a boat with no sail, no motor, just being blown around on the waves. And whenever a storm comes, it just takes us where, where it takes us. We should have and we should claim some ability to steer, to navigate, <laughs> to, to work through Uh, to survive, you know, to effectively get through any storms in life without the boat or the ship being broken into pieces or people falling overboard, you know, again, pick your metaphor. So, and at the same time, we can't spend our lives, taking the boat metaphor, trying to sail across bodies of water and not expect there to ever not be rough seas or to try to avoid every storm that comes our way. Sometimes that's just simply not possible. So, where is that relationship? And throughout human history, which I've spent a lifetime studying in varying degrees and varying places with varying degrees of success, one of the things that I've seen is we all find those things to anchor with. Some of them are probably more effective than others. And again, that answer might depend person to person. But things that humanity has tended to move towards uh, in some way, shape, or form over the course of its history. Philosophical ideas, religious identification, uh, political systems, social stratification or social identity, uh, technological embraces and practices, you name it. They're, they're, we all find things that we anchor in that we then use as a way to translate, filter through all the changes that come at us. But I guess what I'm interested in exploring today is how does that all work? And is there any way to? unpack all of that away from the specifics for us to be able to go, okay, no matter what those specifics are, we kind of all do this. We kind of all have this in common. or And perhaps to pitch some ideas on some of the things that maybe we can all really anchor on a little bit more despite our individual differences and perhaps have a smoother time of it with ourselves and with others. So when we come back from our first break, we'll pick up right there talking a little bit, I think, about values. We'll be right back.
0: kids never have trouble dreaming about their future, the challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's a-i-r-s-c-i.org, or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. And we were talking about transitions today and I'm kind of asking a larger kind of macro question to start here. And about change is constant. And yet we all have these perhaps that we develop these core ideas that we anchor ourselves to. And there can be, that can be paradoxical in some cases. That could also just be maybe points of balance, yin yang. There's lots of different ways to frame what I'm getting at. But really what I'm interested in is how can we be, move ourselves individually and then by extension as groups of people in relationship, in groups, in communities, nations, whatever, more towards responding to change effectively in a more healthy way. Rather than reacting to it, which oftentimes when we react to things, a lot of the things that are our coping mechanisms that come from challenges in the past or problems in the past, oftentimes those come forward and we lead with those. Rather than a thought out, centered, (laughs) grounded response to things that really does match what our values are and who we believe ourselves to be. So. I said right before the break that perhaps where we needed to really focus on was this idea of what do we value. I've talked about this on the show before. I do not mean things like political values, at least not exclusively. I also don't necessarily mean religious or spiritual values because those tend to get become really loaded terms. But really, what are the things about ourselves and our own behavior, our own outlook? our own sense of self and sense of place that we truly value the most. And I think there we start getting onto firmer ground because we start asking ourselves that question, what do I value? And we start talking about characteristics, traits, things like that, that almost all humans in some way, shape or form can share and, and can bring forward in varying different combinations. And if you ever take a look, at different values assessments. And there's lots of different ones out there. You can find these tests just about anywhere. There are some of these tests that list out values that can be in the dozens, if not the hundreds, all these different things. So things like courage can be a value. Kindness can be a value. Uh, Teamwork or collaboration can be a value. Having fun can be be a value. Um, Staying connected with oneself and with other people can be a value. There's so many. I'm just throwing them out off the top of my head. And of course, none of us, with all the values that we might esteem, can't necessarily bring every single one of those that we esteem to the forefront in equal numbers all the time or at all. So, for example, you could have a value of having fun. It's important to have fun, but you could take a look at your life where you currently are and realize, you know what, I'm not having as much fun as I would like to be having, not relaxing as much. And then on the basis of that, wanting to reconnect with that value or kind of bring it up the scale, if you will, can start pl- taking steps to have more fun, planning out some more time off, planning out a trip or a visit or just some time with a friend or a loved one or a partner. All these things that we can do. And when we take a look at these things and we separate them from all the the shoulds out there, the things that we get from, external sources that tell us how we should feel or what we should value or what we should do, even though those can be, in some cases, you know, okay guidelines. When we really take a look at them ourselves, we can really start to be honest with ourselves about who we are, what we value, and what that means. That can sometimes be uncomfortable because what can happen in that process of exploring values is sometimes, and this has happened to me and it's happened to a lot of people that I know, we can sometimes find that the values that we were told for a lot of our lives that we should have and that perhaps that we did believe we did have, we don't really want them. Or they don't really apply to us. Or maybe they once did, but don't anymore. And what that can do is raise up some significant questions about what does it mean to be me? In the times in my life where I have been turbulent, to put it mildly, where I have really struggled, whether it's in my personal life, in my work life, some combination of the two, oftentimes I was asking myself this larger and struggling reacting to this crisis question of what does it mean to be a human being? What, is it, what's, what am I supposed to do? What does it mean to be a good human being? I would ask myself that a lot and be really hard on myself for the times that I made mistakes or the times that I acted against what my stated and even my believed values were. I could rake myself over the coals for those things. It was when I started, just in the last handful of years, started asking myself a little bit more of a precise question. Rather than what does it mean to be a good human being, which is like me compared to the rest of living humanity and humanity over time. That is quite the standard to try to meet. and I'm not sure I can meet that. I started asking myself, what does it mean to be the best version of me? That to me was a, not only a more realistic question that I can maybe answer, but there was a lot less pressure, external pressure on that. But it required me to take the metaphorical look at myself in the mirror and take a good look at what it was that I actually did with my life, was doing with things. What was I really prioritizing? And then of course, in that process, what, did I really have control over? And the answer, in a lot of cases, was not very much other than myself. And what did I have to just allow to happen and figure out how to respond to? There were a lot of twists and turns with that, and there still are sometimes. But one of the things that I started coming to a handful of years ago, and I explore this in my other podcast with my friend Tony Santabria, Breaking Up With RBS, Because I found more and more the only thing that I could really connect to and do anything about was my own perception, responses to, and actions taken within myself about what was going on. Rather than losing myself in getting upset about what should be happening or what wasn't happening, what shouldn't go on. Holding those beliefs, but also asking myself first and foremost, how do I want to effectively respond to these things, these external things going on? in a way that is congruent and aligned with what i truly value and that takes a while and it's 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 really not a process that ever ends there's a constant sorting and resorting i think on some level of values maybe not the values themselves but how they might apply in the various contexts of our own lives when our lives are constantly changing i've seen it in my own life and i've seen it with with close friends and loved ones for example I have several friends of late who have had to step up because of circumstances, their efforts to take care of aging parents. These are concerns now and realities now that were not that way six months ago or three months ago. All those new circumstances require an assessment and evaluation against and decisions based upon what those values are. And then, of course, the priorities at a given time. What does taking care of aging parents mean for the values, for example, of having time to oneself or getting out and having more fun? Sometimes, you know, stuff like that is going to cut into that. Less personal time to more effectively help take care of aging parents. That's happening to several of my friends. And it's conversations I'm even having with my own parents. They're not, any, they're not near the point of needing anyone to take care of them yet. But these are things that we're all aware of that we need to be having conversations about. And I'm grateful that we're having them in my family. But those things come up, those circumstances that happen, that change, usually the ones that we don't see coming or we don't expect, which is the majority of them, those are the ones that bring us back to this reevaluation, reexamination re-examination of these values and how we are responding to change. Oftentimes our initial responses to change have something to do with our emotional state. We react a certain way. And then really the steps we take are ones that bring in emotions, bring in the reality of what's going on and take a look at the various choices available and make the best decision possible in that moment, being open to changing it down the line. So as we go through a season, In many ways, as I laid it out at the top of the show, where we all are kind of recognizing changes and transitions going on. I think sometimes the fall seems like the biggest transition of the year for a lot of reasons. As we go through that, it's just a time, I think, here to sit back and take a look at what these things are. And I would ask all of you the question, what are the things that you value? And why do you value them? And how well do they serve? Yourself, your growth, your paths. I ask myself this all the time. And just in the interest of being fair, (laughs) I decided I would ask myself these questions before I came in here today. And here's a few that I will lay out. And longtime listeners of this show will have heard some of these before, but I think they're worth revisiting again because in the midst of all the changes that can happen, and I have a lot of changes going on in my life too right now that I'll talk about in later shows, These are There are bedrock things that I keep coming back to that continue to get reinforced for me. No matter what is going on, no matter what the changes are, no matter what emotional state I'm in, these are the ones that seem to be the most solid and stay consistent. The first is one where I truly believe that every single human being that has either existed, exists now, or will exist has inherent integrity and value just from the the sheer fact that they are alive, that they are here. Now, that means, as much as it depends on me, I want my relationships with the people that I meet to start out positively. And if they are going to be engaged in, to be productive, to be helpful for both. Obviously, we have things like laws (laughs) and political systems set up recognizing that people don't always (laughs) treat each other with that integrity and value. In fact, oftentimes they do not. So that does not mean that I think there should not be consequences for people who break laws, for people who threaten others. It also doesn't mean that I consider myself to be a dyed-in-the-wool pacifist, for example, because I do think in cases there are people who cannot protect themselves who need to be defended. And there's plenty of examples in history that show the importance of other people stepping in to help others when, for a wide variety of reasons, they are unable to help themselves in protecting their own integrity and their value and really their own selves, their own lives. So it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that I am willing, because I believe that, and there's that core belief, I'm willing to consider the difficult. <laughs> vagaries and difficult circumstances involved in how does one know when to continue to engage with people and when does one need to defend others against others. I'm willing to have those difficult conversations and to hear counterpoints. That's one of them. That's one of the values. A second value that I that I hold very strongly, no matter the circumstances of change, is that history both our own individual histories and the collective human history, going back for as long as we can track it. They are sources of important illumination and context for the human story. And alongside that, they can also, if we're not careful, be turned into our own shackles and prisons that can keep us from growing. I do not view history as something that can predict the future. I don't know of any really quality historian who believes they can do that. What historians can do, I believe, is illuminate how things have happened in the past. Mark Twain once said, History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. I think there's a lot of value in that. They can oftentimes, historians can point out what might not necessarily be likely to happen, but the fact is, unprecedented things happen in the world all the time. Unprecedented inventions can change the course of human history. Unexpected individuals can come along in contexts that we never anticipated and change things for good or for ill. There are, if everything could be gleaned from history in terms of expecting what was going to happen, if it was a predictive element, things would be greatly improved by now (laughs) in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean that history doesn't have value. Because it does. But it also doesn't mean that it should be something that we say, because history has shown us this time and time again, it is therefore by extension going to continue to prove that as time goes on. That takes away, in my opinion, our individual human agency to change ourselves, to make different decisions, to challenge ourselves individually, collectively as a group, to grow beyond our previous limitations and our previous boundaries, our previous frameworks and expectations and improve things. And I realize history also shows that oftentimes laws of unintended consequences do occur. You have progress and positive changes on one hand and then some negative consequences can come out of them in another place. And that could very well be something about human condition that perhaps isn't escapable, but that doesn't mean that we should therefore stop simply trying to improve what we can, and to grow as we can in the time that we have. Oftentimes, when we either want to throw up our hands and just say, "Well, humanity's always been this way, and it'll always change. So there's no point in doing anything," or believing that we must change everything right now about these fundamental ways humans have behaved before in a very short period of time, or we're all doomed. Both of those opposing pieces come from a place of deep fear and a lack of acceptance about who we are and what we are capable of doing. That is something that I think is always drawn me to history because of that, is that complexity, that dynamic, that paradox between those things. To recognize that there are things about us that we tend to see time and time again as part of the human condition. And also from history, we see that new unprecedented things can happen that can change things for the better and can also worsen things. And perhaps what it brings us back to is something that is a core belief of mine as well, that we all as individuals have the capacity to do great, good things and pretty terrible things, depending on our choices, depending on our circumstances, depending on the decisions that we make, and depending on how sometimes external circumstances affect us. So that's another one all right, with that. I have a little more to say on this, obviously, as we dig into the the let's get into the backstretch, if you will, of this episode of this show is all about you. So come on back in just a minute and we'll wrap this up with a couple of thoughts on what we can each do with this idea of transitions in our lives. See you in a
0: minute. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, Positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Talking in some some big terms, but hopefully in some, some ways that resonate with you personally about Transitions and really weighing what we value; those bedrock things that we value as central to ourselves. How we weigh them against change that seemingly is inevitable and oftentimes unexpected in what it is, what it does, and what it portends for us. And I left off before the break talking about some of the things that I really value that seem to be bedrock things uh, that last. And there's a couple other ones that I would would list. One of my values that I have embraced more and more, or I've actually been more intentional about really trying to hold on to and to really put forward and stand on is the value of not taking myself so seriously all the time. And if that doesn't sound like a value, I would ask you to just consider maybe that, that it is um, and what that might look like. Obviously, I take my life, the fact that I have one seriously. I do take the fact that I have one body to live in. Now, seriously, to the point that I want to take care of it and keep it as healthy as I can. I'm better at that now than I used to be. But I still have those moments where I want to eat something that I know isn't going to help me. And I still do it. And, and, but more often than not, I make better decisions with that. Uh, and in that, and by that, not taking myself so seriously, what I really mean is not raking myself over the coals for not being perfect. Historically, I have had a perfectionism streak that has been debilitating in the end because expecting myself to be perfect on somebody else's standards or a standard that I grew up with or whatever it might be is a recipe for disaster because any lack of perfection then, at least the translation is, isn't good enough. Because perfectionism, when it's really expressed in one's life, I think, isn't just about being perfect. It's about the meaning of that perfection. But the sad thing is Even if someone who is a perfectionist could do something perfectly, there's no guarantee that they would ever see that they're doing that or think that they could keep doing that. And therefore, perfection wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't ever deliver what that perfectionist think it would if they could just pull off everything perfectly. So for me, the last handful of years, last decade or so, has in a lot of ways been an exercise back and forth, up and down, (laughs) two steps forward, three steps back, pick your metaphor, of me letting go of perfectionism. And as a result, not only accepting that I am not, but also, one, not expecting it of other people, (laughs) two, being more open with the people that I care about about the times where I am not, and experiencing the love and connection, forgiveness, if appropriate, that comes from people who care about me, and that just leads to increased connection with those people. So that's another one that's been important to me. And in the, in the midst of all that, I've had I've ended up kind of developing some, some ideas um, and some recognitions about some things with other values that I think really matter for me. For me, when I think about the purpose of what my life is, it's not so much about my vocation. It's not about things like this show. It's not about things like how much money do I have or will I have or what comforts will I have, even though I do think about those things. It's more about what is my purpose. It used to be, I used to think that I somehow had to transcend the limitations I was born with. That that was my job, was to transcend those. Um, That's a little different than growing out of them for example, because to transcend means to really be taken out of something. And as more time has gone by, I've wondered more and more, do we really transcend the things that hold us back? Do we really transcend them, or do we grow through them and then move through them first and foremost by accepting that we have them? These limitations or these challenges, wherever they might be, these blind spots we might have, these habits that we don't like these responses that are built off of life experience, do they continue to get in our way, these types of things. I'm becoming more and more convinced that our purpose, my purpose, let me speak for myself, my purpose is not to transcend myself into something outside of my own body or to have some sort of larger out-of-body series of experiences that connect me to the divine, connect me to other people, but instead, rather than transcend out of myself to connect with those things is actually to do it from within to better self-navigate to learn how to self-navigate through my own sensibilities through my own imperfections to learn how to better recognize what is actually real and what is bs again check out breaking up with our bs and you'll hear me have these conversations with my friend Tani Sanabria quite a bit. What are the BS stories about how I should be or what I should do or how things should be or how things should go? What are those BS stories and what is actually real? Because if I can better connect to what is really real in my own life with my values and what's going on around me, what's happening for the people that I care about, if I'm operating from that standpoint, there's actually nothing I need to transcend Instead, the discomfort of that, recognizing what I can control, what I can't control, deciding whether I accept the dynamics of a specific relationship with somebody or not, that brings up discomfort that I don't have control over all those things and that I actually have responsibility for my own choices to move through something rather than hope for some transcending experience. If I sit with discomfort, that's where. I am discovering that a lot of the truths that matter to me that reinforce my values and help me develop and move up some and kind of bring down others really comes from accepting that discomfort and flowing through it. I am finding that that is what leads to peace and a sense of identity and a purpose, if you will, however that's defined. And if we want to view this from a spiritual dimension, that's really in my experience where continuous for lack of a better term enlightenment happens, which really in this case could be a synonym for growth and improvement of my own sense of self and a better sense of where I stand, where I start and stop with what about me really is unique and valuable in this time period with the people that I am in contact with in my own life and what really shouldn't or doesn't need to matter to me beyond those things. If this sounds like I'm getting really philosophical around it, I am in part because my 50th birthday is next week. And so it's like this big landmark birthday. So, you know, tend to do that a little bit. And those of you who have hit that landmark birthday before, I'm sure you can relate on some level. You tend to do that at these times. But it's also a period I'm finding that, as a lot of people have said before, you get to this point, you start really do, based on experience or choice <laughs> or fatigue <laughs> or whatever the case may be, a better sense of what really does matter to oneself and what doesn't. What things internally and externally are just noise that we can choose not to pay attention to and what are the things that we really do need to pay attention to. And I think that's probably different for each person. And so if recognizing that Change is a constant is value, then that's that's one that I've developed, which means that discomfort will be constant. And that doesn't mean that that has to lead to a sense of unease all the time, or that something, or a story that something is wrong all the time. In some ways, it's an it feels to me like an emotional and perhaps spiritual manifestation of the growing pains I remember feeling physically when I was a teenager. When over the course of one summer, I grew some ridiculous amount of inches, like four or five inches. And I remember that summer very well because I was in pain all the time. I was was popping Advil like it was Reese's Pieces, not sponsored. And that's sort of what it felt like. And there was really nothing I could do but go through it and grow through it, more importantly. Because it was a change that was going to happen whether I fought it or not. Whether I liked it or not. And I remember getting to the point where I finally reached the height that I am now, six, one and three quarters, in case you're, that I remember feeling relieved. Oh, okay, I don't have to go through that again. But then, of course, as I get older, you recognize that you stop worrying so much about growing upwards in my case and you worry about kind of growing outwards, you know, or getting weaker with what you do have. And how well do you take care of what you do have at various points in life? And it's one reason why physical exercise and taking care of myself has become that much more important. And so that's a value self care. If I'm not taking care of myself, so many other things out there are going or I'm not even going to be able to adequately face effectively, whether it's my own responses to a a tense world around me or the choices I need to make with my friends, loved ones, job. If I'm not taking care of myself. All those other things slide, really, in my ability to effectively address them. Or I might just not even address them at all and suddenly look back somewhere down the line and go, where did I miss all that? Why didn't I do A, B, and C sooner? All those things. and I don't want to do that as much as I can. I don't want to be looking back going, I really wish I would have done that or I should have done that. You know, all those things. Again, that's more the perfectionist to me as if I'm supposed to know the path better than any other human being has ever known it without experiencing and getting out there and walking that path which means the metaphorical twisted ankles skin knees moments of exhaustion falling off the trail <laughs> you know, the only way to do that is to walk it is to experience that and to work through it and to learn from it in the long run so finally that last piece if you will if there's value that I hold to in the midst of change and where I think things matter is it's freedom and I don't just mean freedom in the way we often hear about it right where we happen to live If you're listening to this in the United States you know uh, how freedom is talked about in a lot of quarters it's oftentimes very tied very closely with national identity with patriotism with national sentiment with uh, support from the military, and all of those to varying degrees can be, or can be always very positive, sometimes can be very negative, depending on who we're talking to and what extremes we're examining. But I also mean perhaps even more that internal freedom to go with that. And not only the freedom to explore and make mistakes, again, not being a perfectionist in our own lives, but the freedom to allow ourselves to grow and the freedom to say, you know what, I may not, need to hold on to this pattern anymore or this belief system or this practice or this institution or this piece of my identity. The freedom to question those things and to make decisions based on our values of what is best for us in ways that don't harm us and ideally don't harm anybody else. That is really the freedom that I am talking about. But it can't just be for ourselves. And oftentimes in the external discussions about this, this is where I think people sometimes fall short. We hear all the time about everyone wanting to protect their own individual freedoms, and I get that. At the same time though, for freedoms truly to be freedom, there's a second step, recognizing that other people have it too, and that they what that is may be different than what somebody else's notion of that is, their own freedom of choices, their own freedom of beliefs, their own choices of practices, all those things. Whether we like it or not, whether we try to legislate certain choices out of existence or not, choices still exist. And everybody will continue to make them, one way or the other. And so what are those things that we have in ourselves that we can recognize in others that can just simply allow ourselves to be ourselves? Again, that takes discomfort, and that takes a recognition that giving somebody else, particularly a person you love, their freedom to be who they are, to make the choices they will, even if sometimes those choices aren't the ones you wish they would make, or are choices that might directly affect you in ways that you wish they didn't, to give people that freedom is not only (laughs) consistent with the idea of freedom, But it's a very brave thing to do because it acknowledges our own limits firsthand. And it also acknowledges the value of somebody else on the basis of who they happen to be. It respects their journey. It respects their growth. It respects their challenges to be examining their values and to approach things differently. And it's why at times we grow together with people and other times we grow apart. And other times, we stay side by side. And oftentimes, the relationships that stay closest side by side are the ones that do the best job of acknowledging and living out, respecting the individual freedoms of others to be who they are. To me, that was a long time learning that. And unlearning the idea that as long as I was perfect and I did everything and I was nice all the time, people would give me what I would want. It took me a long time to learn that that's not how old that in fact, by letting people be who they are and loving them and caring about them, respecting them, whatever level's appropriate for who they are, I was much more likely to have a better sense of myself and to probably, by extension, get the things I was looking for in life from myself first and not having to have somebody else give it to me or supply it to me. So a lot about values today, a lot about transitions and change. I wonder what that resonates for you out of all that. What are the values that you value the most? What are the ways you show up for change that you don't like and maybe some ways that you wish you would? If you have thoughts on that, reach out to me at wordsbyjdk.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or on X, and let me know what those are. I'd be happy to talk with you about them. Special thanks again to Airway Science for Kids for their continued support of the show. And thank you to you for joining me for this episode of This Show Is All About You. I hope you got a lot out of it. I have always a lot of thank yous that I want to give at the end of the show, so I need to make sure I do those. Uh, First of all, this show is All About You is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is the in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thank you so much, Eric. The show is made possible, again, by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Be sure to check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music for this show is All About You is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Thanks for contributing to this episode, and all that has gone well for me this week goes to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Alona Murley, Dean Cameron, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Taryn Laxo, Phil McCoy, Ken and Margaret Winniken, Mary Olson, Seth Mormon, Phil McCoy, Ashley Kniebel, Heidi Lloyd, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to the Texas Rangers for playing so poorly over the last month that's allowed the Seattle Mariners to climb back into the race. Really excited. Thank you so much for doing that, and feel free to keep doing it. And to you, listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to send you off into the rest of your week, let's end with this original haiku. Flowing along with change brings us all closer to the oceans we share. Chins up, everyone.